you could be forgiven for thinking that the Hain Royal Commission has been all but forgotten in the current environment surrounding the banks, the federal government and the pandemic that we're going through at the moment. EY, the global accounting firm, has released a report today that looks at what the banking sector has been going through over the past 12 months. In fact, specifically focusing on the half-year results of the major banks. Things aren't looking all that rosy. And in fact, the time, part of the focus of the EY report is that the banks are bracing for uncertainty. Joining me today is EY Partner, heading the uh, Oceania Division, looking at the financial services sector, Tim Dring. He's going to take us through the report, some of the indicators and also what people ought to make of the current environment. Tim, thanks for joining us today. Uh, glad to be here, Tom. Thanks for inviting me. Not a problem. Absolute pleasure. Now, your report hit today. What are the key indicators that you have uh, to share with us? Yeah, it's, uh, it's been an interesting uh, half year for the banks. And I guess um, with COVID-19 being declared a pandemic um, in the middle of March there, Tom, really has created a lot of uncertainty for, for those banks that had to report at 31 March. And, um, you know, as a result, we've seen uh, cash earnings come in at $3.8 billion. Uh, And that is significantly down from this time last year, uh, a decrease of, uh, of about 43%. So that is significant. And much of that has been underpinned by the, um, by the provisions that have been booked um, for, uh, for certainly three of those banks that had to report. Um, as you know, for CBA, uh, its half year is 31 December. So COVID certainly appeared after their half year end, so they weren't impacted uh, for 31 March, uh, like the others having to report. Um, but it has resulted in a significant increase in um, the provision for doubtful debts, which has gone up uh, up significantly. In fact, about 228%, Tom. So um, uh, total impairment charges for about $5.7 uh, uh, for, the, for the four banks uh, for the half year. It looks it looks actually um, rather wrong, rather strange. I mean, it's gone up two hundred and twenty seven point four percent in terms of credit impairment charges. It's it's rather incredible when you look at that number. Yeah, it is, and um, and I think what this uh, this reporting period has seen you know that that forward looking impact on provisions um, since this standard was adopted, WSB nine. Um, last year, and uh, particularly with the collective provision, um, the banks have significantly allowed for uh, quite material economic overlays in there in, in forecasting what that uh, you know potential impairment charge may be, largely for the impact of COVID nineteen. If we look at the COVID nineteen initiatives from the federal government, uh, you mention them in the report and uh, some of the implications for the market. Uh, would you mind taking people through some of the key ones? Yeah, sure. I think, look, I think we have seen the, the government, um, both uh, our government in Australia, local governments, um, state governments, and also overseas governments respect, respond very proactively around this. And I think, uh, you know, their working relationship with the banking sector in Australia has been has been one of, of a great unity. And when we think about trying to, to rebuild the economy and how we come out of this, um, 
I think we are hoping for a V-shaped recovery, but unfortunately it probably is more looking like a, a U-shape. Um, but there has been significant um, government support uh, for both retail customers um, and for, uh, um, for for small and, and small business customers as well. Uh, and I think the government and the and the banks have worked uh, worked pretty well together on that. I think it does represent, you know, certainly with the interest and principal uh, holidays that have been uh, offered to customers, uh, effectively of, of that six month period, it is going to be difficult for the banks to to truly determine what that impact will be at this point in time. Uh, and that is why there is so much uncertainty around it, and in particular, those overlays that were built into those provisions. I think with the fullness of time, uh, as greater transparency um, on the financial position of their customers does come to bear and how the economy does come out of this, um, this COVID-19 situation, will determine um, whether those provisions uh, have been accurate and whether it's enough or whether it was too much. One of the issues with the uncertainty is we don't know when the we don't know when the pandemic will itself decrease uh, when and when things will get back to normal. Um, what are you hearing from people you talk to in the finance sector about the current um, current way in which they're needing to think about the period? Yeah, it's a very good question, Tom. And I think, you know, there's one, the financial outcome is one thing, but I guess, you know, the, how how banks have had to deal with some of the operational aspects of this. Um, a, putting into place um, disaster recovery and, and business continuity plans, um, thousands, um, tens of thousands of, of, of banking staff now working from home, um, et cetera, that has been a big challenge operationally. And I think the banks, believe it or not, have done a, done a very good job uh, of just trying to get all of their resources um, back online and then, and ultimately then how do you support customers in that period once again? I, I think they've done a, done a fantastic job of that. Um, whilst it's been difficult to get to all customers in a, you know, as quickly as you'd want to, um, I think, um, you know, certainly the measures they've put in place the process that they've been put in place, in particular the use of technology to try and deal with customers uh, in an efficient manner. I think the other thing too, Tom, is, you know, the migration of customers, um, you know, away from that branch network. Um, obviously with social distancing, we've seen a significant uptick in customers that are now transacting through digital channels. Um, some of those customers uh, had never transacted through digital channels. So, once again, taking pressure off that branch network and migrating customers into a more digital era. Uh, and that should certainly help the banks, um, you know, down the track in, in managing various costs and uh, et cetera. Um, and I think the other one too, as they start to, to work through some of these, these some of these situations is gaining greater vis visibility of the customer situation, in particular those small, um, small business customers, um, and clearly, you know, just getting up-to-date financial information from them um, and they'll go through a process of re-rating those customers, etc. Some of those customers will have viable businesses and we certainly hope most of them have viable businesses going forward. But there will be some um, that uh, that will struggle um, to, to migrate out of the impacts of COVID-19 um, and as a result, some of their businesses, some may fail. Um, so that's going to be a bit of a balancing act on just how the bank's work through some of those situations. 
as I said, I think, you know, they're preparing themselves well, um, communicating with customers um, pretty openly and transparently, um, particularly when that, uh, that interest and, and principal holiday um, sort of does come off towards the back end or the latter, latter half of this year. Uh, Tim, one of the things that the, the Hain Royal Commission focused on was regional banking. And it, it occurs to me that there are some issues with, with the regions when it comes to banking at the current time, certainly during the pandemic. Are there any observations you've, uh, you've got on the way in which the regional banking services uh, will be affected by this? Yeah, it's a, it's a very good point, Tom, and I think, you know, certainly for those for those regional banks and those operating in regional communities, you know, that face-to-face contact um, has been, been important. Um, and I think what you've seen now is uh, banks reach outwardly to those customers, um, the use of mobile lenders, et cetera, um, being able to communicate with those customers in a different, different form and a different manner. Um, but, you know, I think that acknowledges some of the challenges that some of those regional communities face around financial services. Um, and uh, as I said, it's, it's, it's a challenge. Uh, and certainly with social distancing, really has tested how our banks do communicate in some of those um, smaller geographically challenged locations. Now, you, we've talked, spoken about uncertainty in the economy. The other side to all of this is how people uh, in the banks communicate to the market uh, in relation to uncertainty. Uh, we mentioned AASB9 earlier. What are the early signs of, uh, of the way in which uh, people are interpreting what the banks are saying? I, I imagine that it would be difficult for some people to comprehend that the accounting standard setters have put what is ostensibly a prudential principle that is what people expect to lose rather than what's actually happened yeah. in a set of accounts. How are people coping with that? It's a really good question. I think it's a, it's certainly a challenge for... It is a complex standard, um, Tom, SB 9 as, you, as you've, you've highlighted there, um, and it's driven by a lot of assumptions. And I think, um, you know, whether it be the, the, uh, the analyst uh, community... Um, but certainly the lay person uh, in trying to interpret um, some of this information. I guess when you try and stand back and interpret it for the lay person, what we're really trying to achieve here is, you know, what are those expected losses, um, you know, where there has been a significant credit event, as an example, in, in moving to stage two, um, that may emerge over the life of the loan. So I think in, in that sort of simplistic term, maybe the lay person does understand that and that, you know, taking a forward-looking approach does impact the, you know, the current sort of credit outlook for for a bank um, at a particular point in time, particularly a balance date, whether it be half year or year end. And when you start sort of explaining to the lay person that, you know, credit is going to be impacted by things that, that they really understand, like property prices, um, by unemployment levels, um, by forecasted GDP growth. Um, I think, uh, you know, they're all sort of terms that I think that the layperson is is really starting to hear through this, uh, you know, pandemic crisis. And, um, you know, I think banks uh, and not only governments um, have been openly talking about sort of their outlook on the economy uh, and what that means. And I guess, once again, the layperson does start to see the, the consequence, consequences of that 
um, with some of those sort of um, you know adverse predictions on, on what we see, where we see unemployment trending to, uh, where we see GDP growth uh, heading. In fact, negative GDP growth forecast for the for the next quarter and and in the short term. Um, therefore, they see how those stimulus packages um, do go a long way to supporting their fulfilment of their uh, their financial obligations um, and the impact on their, their credit profile. For the analyst community, um, there's no doubt they're always wanting more granular information. Um, and I won't say it's a bit of a black box on, on how banks get there, but there are a lot of assumptions in there. There's a lot of assumptions they use, whether it be base case or sort of severe downside um, in forecasting on what these these variables that will drive and have driven uh, the collective provision for the half year. Uh, and as I've touched on, you know, GDP, unemployment and house price uh, impacts as well. Um, and sort of each institution's outlook on those uh, can be slightly different. Um, and analysts also tend to have models that they plug numbers in and out of. So until they get used to what a new standard does, it can be it can be an interesting conversation with them, can't it? That's exactly right, Tom. And I think what this reporting period has highlighted, and when you do go through the results in significant detail, um, it does highlight the uncertainty, um, not only around the, the numbers that have been booked there for the collective provision, but essentially those assumptions um, that those numbers have been based on. As I said, I think if we all, uh, you know, we're going to be proven right or wrong with the benefit of hindsight, um, but essentially at this point in time, when you are trying to forecast um, some of those key inputs, fr frankly, from a situation that, that no economy has really experienced um, before, it's not as if we can leverage off one economy or two economies, this is impacting the global economy. And effectively, every global economy has been shut down for a period of time. Businesses have been shut down. Um, jobs have been lost and, and further jobs may be lost. And just knowing how each of those businesses, how customers come out of it from a financial sense, uh, from a health and well-being sense, I think is as much of a challenge as well. Uh, Tim, that's actually a fairly comprehensive summary of a range of things, including an accounting standard most people are still coming to terms with. So thank you for joining me on the podcast today. And I hope self-isolation continues to um, <laughs> continues to be okay. We're certainly getting getting used to this form of communication, that's for sure, Tom. <laughs> uh, thank you for joining me today. You're welcome. Thank you. Not a problem.